There are 31,102 verses in the King James Bible. Let me ask you a question. What is the greatest verse out of the 31,102 verses? I'll be honest with you. I've read every one of them many a time. Some of them I have read thousands of times. I've put thousands of them to, to memory. <clears throat> I've memorized about 10% of the Bible. Just what is the greatest verse in all the Bible? Not the most popular. Uh, not the one maybe you like most, but maybe not even the most known. But what is the greatest verse in all the Bible? John chapter 3. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I personally believe John 3.16 is the greatest verse in all the Bible. You might want to open your Bible there. <clears throat> I'm, going to, I'm going to give you 11 statements tonight about John 3.16. I mean this, probably one of these days I'll do it. I'll take probably three or four months and preach on Wednesday night on John 3.16. I, I could do that. I could preach a series of sermons for, for months on John 3.16. I could, uh, I'm going to give you a, a, a very quick uh, artillery shell or an explosive of it tonight, but I want you to see the greatness of God in a deep and powerful way tonight. There are 25 words in John 3.16, just 25 words, but these 25 words put together by God, the creator of the universe, may be the most powerful words ever put together anywhere on the face of the earth. They're simple enough for a small child to understand. When I was four and a half years old and a man preached in junior church, amen, Brother Joe, preached on hell. I walked over to my Sunday school teacher and tugged on her skirt and I said, I don't want to die and go there. We knelt down beside a little kindergartner-sized type chair she opened her Bible to John 3.16. That's where she started. I remember it as plain as though it was yesterday. Whatever yesterday was. No, uh, But uh, you have to understand, John 3.16 is deeper than any theologian can go. These 25 words will change the eternity of the homeless one as well as the intellect. The poor as well as the wealthy. You see, you don't have to have any economic value or intellectual uh, level to understand John 3.16. It's the same for the preacher as it is the prisoner. There are no bad or wrong verses in the King James Bible. There are in the other perversions, just throw them out. I do believe that there are some that need to see the greatness of this truth. I've picked tonight 
Valentine's as uh, the, the day. I honestly wanted to preach this on a Sunday morning, but I believed that it was the right time to do it tonight. It's not a new truth. It's kind of like, ladies, that diamond on your finger. If you clean it up, you get to see the sparkles in a little different way. The light hits it because the angles and things. Some of you don't look at it because he was too cheap to buy a real diamond, and it's just glass. (laughs) But uh, I ain't going there. I ain't looking at nobody. Amen? But I want to shine the light of truth on that diamond tonight and let you see all 25 facets of John 3.16. Say, preacher, why do you believe that John 3.16 is the greatest verse in all the Bible? First of all, it has the greatest lover. Look at the first two words. For God. There is no one that can love any greater than God. He is the source of all love. His love is eternal and everlasting, has no end, has no beginning. He is what love is. He is the greatest lover. You take the love of every mother for every child, the love of every husband for every wife and every wife for every husband. You take the love of every pastor for his people and people for the pastor. You take the love of every friend for a friend. You take the love of a child for their grandparent and the grandparent for the grandchild and on and on. Combine it all together for every human that ever lived. And God's love is greater than they all. I promise you. You see, God loves us in spite of the wrong we do. He is the greatest lover. He is the source of all love. And he made us to fellowship with him and made the world for us to enjoy his love. You've never been loved until you recognize the love of God. You've never loved someone else till you love them with the love of God. You say, well, how do I do that? And please don't, don't, don't think this is cruel, but a newborn baby... They don't do nothing. They eat. They cry. They do things in their diaper. But they don't know how to love. There's nothing as helpless and hopeless as a newborn human. You know, a cow, a horse, many of the farm animals... The moment they're born, they're up and they're moving around. They're eating. They're, they're, they have to move for survival. A human being is not that way. But that infant has no ability to love. It needs taught to love. Now, you say, what's the love of God? Every mama in here thinks that baby is the most beautiful thing in all the world. And they ain't nothing uglier than a newborn baby. <laughs> Pink and wiggly and ugly, good night, no teeth, no hair, no nothing. Good night. Uh, Brother Harry, I wasn't talking about you. Uh, (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Uh, You say, well, there's a beauty to the purity of it. But that love that you have for that child is the love of God because it cannot love you back. And when you learn to love people like God loves and not not expect anything back, you just want to put in. 
1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 is there for a reason because it complements John 3, 16. For God. Why is John 3, 16, I believe, the greatest verse in all the Bible? Because it starts with the greatest lover. Second, I'm about to shout. Y'all don't know what's coming, but I do. It has the greatest amount. For God so loved. God loves so much that there's no way to put a, a, a weight or a measure to it. How much does God love us? So much. How much do we love him? There's no way to express how much God loves us other than the word so. You know, by the way, you cannot love or be loved any more than being so loved. You have the greatest lover with the greatest amount of love. How much love? He so loves. You know, he loves us when we do right and he loves us when we do wrong. He loves the successful and he loves the failure. He, he loves those that do right. He loves those that do wrong. He even loves people that nobody else loves. Thank God for that. And he can take an old nasty sinner and teach them how to love. How much does God love us? With the greatest amount. He so loves us. Number three. Don't put your shoes on yet. Not only is it the greatest lover with the greatest amount, but it has the greatest love. Look at it again. For God so loved. You have to understand something. How much water is there on the face of the earth? Oh, you could probably try to mathematically figure it out, but there's so much. And it keeps rotating. It's called the water cycle. You never have to worry about the world running out of fresh water. God made the greatest water purification system the universe has ever seen. It fell from the sky, filled the earth. It filters through the rock and the dirt and the sand. It runs out into the ocean. And the salt water actually grabs a hold of the dirt particles and drops the dirt to the bottom of the ocean. And as the water heats up, it evaporates and goes up, turns into clouds, comes back onto land and drops down clean water. There's not one less drop of water on the face of the earth now than was 7,000 years ago. Every drop of water comes back. By the way, God says when we get saved, he buries our sins in the depths of the sea. Say, how does that happen? Because it goes out there and gets caught on that salt water and drops it all the way down to the bottom. See, God loves us so much. He is the source 
of all love. And just like the water cycle continually uh, reproduces itself, God's love never ends. It keeps on going. It has no sin in it. It is totally pure. And God's love has to be given for it to be complete. Do you know you don't have to receive it? <laughs> Hardest thing about knocking on doors, telling folks about Jesus, is when somebody says they don't want it. Say, why? Because, man, you want it for them worse than they want it. They don't know what they're turning down. They really don't. I say, are you really sure? You want to die and go to hell? Well, no. <laughs> I say, preacher, you say that? Yeah, every once in a while. You see, God loves and never expects us to love him back. He wants us to, but doesn't expect us to. And may I say something? We could never love him back the way he loves us. Maybe we ought to learn from God and not expect people to love us the way we love them. We want too much to be loved instead of we want to love. God's satisfied with being able to love. That's why he gave us John 3.16. That's why he gave us salvation because without it we would die in eternity in hell and God would not be able to express his great love to us while we're in hell. You see, his love is what gave us life. Salvation and eternal life. God's love is the source of all love and there is no greater. Amen. Oh, there's in, in America and Western world, we say we love you with, I love you with all my heart. There are places in the world that they believe that the liver is the center of emotions. I love you with all my liver. Some believe it's the kidneys. I love you with all my kidneys. Well, thank God I live in a place where we know it's the heart. Amen. So we have the greatest lover who is God. With the greatest amount of love, he so loves. With the greatest love and the source of all love. Number four. It contains the greatest audience for God so loved the world. The greatest audience in all the world. Because he loves the whole world. You see, he loves the greatest host of humans that could ever have been. Because he's loved every one of them from the very first one on. There's approximately... Uh, six and a half billion people on the face of the earth right now. God loves each and every individual one of them. No matter what their language. Whether they love him or not, he loves them. You see, this is every person, no matter what race, no matter what culture, no matter what religion, he loves them because he made them. God even loves those who hate him. The Nancy Pelosi's, uh, the, the, the nasty people of, of the world. Now, may I say something here? God loves those who disobey him, too. As my children were growing up, they did things wrong. They didn't always obey. But you know what? 
I still loved them. Doesn't mean I approved of what they did, and sometimes they got punished for what they did, but I still loved them. I punished because I loved, not because I hated. Amen. Are you doing okay? Free-range children turn out to be rebels. No one has the crowd available to them that God does. There used to be a long, long, long time ago, used to be a commercial that all of a sudden everybody in the crowd stopped and listened. And it said, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Well, can I tell you something? When God speaks, people listen. By the way, he made us for him. Revelation 4.11 says we were created for his pleasure. If you want to take your Bible and turn there very quickly, say, Preacher, does God really care about me? Yes. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He made us for his pleasure. Let me ask you a question. How much pleasure are you bringing God? Do you spend any time with him? Do you talk to him? Do you read his words? Do you, uh, do you want to know him at all? Number five. Not only the greatest lover, not only the greatest amount, not only the greatest love and not only the greatest, greatest audience, but it has the greatest act. The greatest act? For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He didn't make us earn it. He gave it to us. He didn't make us climb hundreds of steps on cut glass and sharp stones to get to it. As some religions do. No. He said, I'll give it to you. He doesn't make us join a church and go through all kinds of uh, shenanigans. That's the only nice word I know how to say. Uh, we don't have to keep all these different traditions in order to get God's love. No, he gave it. He didn't say <laughs> that because you did wrong, I'll reject you. He didn't say only good people deserve my love. His love was based on his giving it, not who would receive it. Amen. You know, God loves you the same way he loves me. I was out praying the other day, and every once in a while I'm out where I can talk out loud and ain't nobody near me. I was going through the woods, and I said, God, that's what you said. And if it's what you said, and I've seen you do it for Brother Hiles, saw you do it for Dr. Robertson, Brother Roloff. God, I've read about it from Spurgeon and Moody. Read about it from the disciples. Am I any different than they are? God, you said it to them. Is it still available to me, Brother Jim? He came back and said, yep, it is, son. It's in the book. It's available. 
Can I tell you something? God gave it to us. You see, the greatest act is act is that he gave us his perfect son to cover our sin debt. You want to watch an old preacher get excited? <laughs> watch somebody bow their head and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. You'll watch me up here, and Brother Anthony's watched it before. Somebody getting saved down here at the altar, and I'm back here doing this. <laughs> Say why? Because I'm about to have a spell. About ready to take my boots off and clank them, off, clank them over my head, run around saying, glory to God. I said, preacher, what for? Because it just gets me excited to see somebody accept what God did. The greatest act he gave. Can I tell you something? You want to love like God, then you're going to have to give. I'm not talking necessarily just your money. But you've got to give to people. You've got to give your time. You've got to give your love. You've got to give your heart. You've got to give uh, sometimes your wisdom to people. I had a young preacher call me this week and said, Preacher, I need some, some advice. I talked to an old preacher today, older preacher today. He's 66. He said, preacher, yeah, that's, uh, it's not getting old anymore. It's getting younger every year. But uh, he, he called me and said, could I get your advice? Can I tell you something? I'm glad that I get to give to people. Give a little time. How about you give time to pray for them? Many of you I'll, I'll text in the, in the mornings. I give a little time. Say, what's that for? So that you know your preacher loves you. Amen. He's thought about you. He's prayed for you. The greatest act is he gave. Huh. But it also contains the greatest gift. His only begotten son. There was no greater gift that God could give than his only begotten son. The sinless, perfect, holy, only begotten son of God given to pay our filthy sin debt. To pay our hell debt. It contains the greatest gift. By the way, Jesus was the only one in the universe who could do it. That's why we can't earn our way to heaven. We can't be righteous enough to get to heaven because we're sinners. It took a sinless one to be able to pay the sin debt. And there was only one left. And that was Jesus Christ. Amen. By the way. He not only died for us. But he lived our righteousness. And took our sin. And our unrighteousness. And placed it on his account for us. He did what you and I. Would struggle to do. I, I don't mean this, and I'm not putting myself in the category of God in any way. But I have a 28-year-old son that in just about, about four to six weeks will be headed to Jordan. The last words I said to him, be careful. He said, oh, Dad, it's okay. 
I said, I know, but I'd rather be able to hug you when you're alive than hug you in a box. I want you to be careful. I said, as your dad, I'm proud of you. As an American, I salute you. But as your daddy, I'm not going to stop worrying and praying for you. I'm going to trust you in God's hands and trust your training. And you better keep your head on a swivel. He said, it'll be okay, Dad. It'll be okay. I said, I know. I can't even guarantee my son is going to get hurt. I can't imagine giving my son knowing he's going to die. Knowing it. The purpose of him going to, is to die. I can't imagine that. I really can't. Someone sent this to me about a week or so ago. I want to read it to you. After a few hour or after a few of the usual Sunday evening hymns, the church's pastor slowly stood up and walked over to the pulpit. Before he gave his sermon for the evening, he briefly introduced a guest minister who was in the service that evening. In the introduction, the pastor told the congregation that the guest preacher was one of his dearest childhood friends, that he wanted him to have a few moments to greet the church and share whatever he felt would be appropriate for the service. And with that, an elderly man, probably 56 years old, stepped up to the pulpit and began to speak. A father and his son and a friend of his son were sailing off the Pacific coast, he began, when a fast approaching storm blocked any attempt to get back to the shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat upright and the three were swept into the ocean as the boat capsized. The old man hesitated for a moment, making eye contact with two teenagers who were, for the first time since the service began, looking somewhat interested in the story. The aged preacher continued with his story. Grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of the lifeline to? He only had seconds to make the decision. The father knew that his son was a Christian, and he also knew that his son's friend was not. The agony of his decision could not be matched by the torrent of the waves. The father yelled out, I love you, son. He threw the lifeline out to his son's friend. By the time the father had pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging swells into the black of night, and his body was never recovered. By this time, the two teenagers were sitting up straight in the pew, anxiously waiting for the next words to come out of the old preacher's mouth. The father, can, the father, he continued, knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus and could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Christ. Therefore, he sacrificed his son to save his son's friend. How great is the love of God that he should do the same for us. Our Heavenly Father sacrificed his only begotten Son that we could be saved. 
I urge you to accept his offer to rescue you and take hold of the lifeline he is throwing out to you in the service today. And with that, the old man turned and sat back down in his chair as silence filled the room. I'd have just got up and gave the invitation. The pastor again walked slowly to the pulpit and delivered a brief sermon with an invitation at the end. However, no one responded to the appeal. Within minutes after the service ending, the two teenagers were at the old man's side. One said, that was a nice story, politely, but I don't think that it's very realistic for a father to give up his only son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian. Well, you've got a point there, son, the old man said, glancing down in his worn Bible. A big smile broadened his narrow face. He once again looked up at the boys and said, it sure isn't very realistic, is it? But I'm standing here today to tell you that that story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his son for me. For you see, I was that father. And your pastor was my son's friend. The greatest gift. His only begotten son. Not only is it the greatest verse because of those things, but number next. It contains the greatest opportunity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. That means it's for everybody. Everybody has the same opportunity. There's no sin so bad that God cannot forgive. You can't get so far away from God that he would not draw you close. The only thing that will take you to hell is rejecting salvation. The only thing. There is no person who has lived or is alive or will live that he would not save. I had someone ask me recently, do you think... This person who murdered somebody could be saved and go to heaven. I said, yes, they could. That's hard for a human to understand. But God loves them enough for them to get saved. He doesn't want them to burn and go to hell. The same price is for all humanity, rich and poor, young and old, intelligent or illiterate, murder or mother, uh, false God worshiper or religionist. He died for everybody the same way. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've prayed with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I've stood with them with my New Testament open in their doors and at their couches and in their homes and every conceivable place. And said, God said, for whosoever, you're a whosoever. Doesn't matter what you've done, you're a whosoever. And if you're a whosoever, you can call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Thank God for whosoever. That means you, it means me. It contains the greatest opportunity. Whosoever. It contains, number eight, the greatest simplicity. So what do you mean? Whosoever believeth in him. 
you know, getting saved easy enough for a child to understand. Did you know that even a child can understand how to get saved once they understand right from wrong? I did. We're still waiting on Brother Anthony to get there. He's still a baby. Uh, now, wait a minute. Can I tell you something? <laughs> there, there is nothing greater in sim- than simplicity. It's easy enough for a child to do. He wants us all to be saved. Matter of fact, Jesus said, unless you become like a child. Now, men, it's not talking about the way you act. It's talking about by faith, in simplicity. Man likes to make it complicated. Man thinks he's got to live his own righteousness. Man's got to give his money. Man's got to earn it himself. No, you can't earn something if you don't have the wherewithal to earn it. And because you're a sinner, it disqualifies you from being able to earn enough to pay for it. See, if God wants us all saved, why would he make it hard for us to do it? Does that not make sense? When your children were little, you didn't make it hard for them to obey you. You make it easy for them to obey you so they can obey And by the way, it has nothing to do with our goodness. It's all about what he did. It's not about traditions or ceremonies. It's about believing what he did for us and allowing that to take us to heaven. It's not about the name on the church. It's about your name being written in heaven. You see, you can't be refused because he said whosoever. Whosoever. Believeth. Well, I believe in God. I know there's a God. I believe Jesus did those things. Yeah, the devil believes the same thing and he's going to fry in hell. Just because you believe that those things happened, that's not it. You have to trust those things to take you to heaven. Number nine, it contains the greatest promise. You say, what's that greatest promise? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. You see, once you get saved, I'm going to make a statement here. You may not totally agree with, but it's true. You never die. Your body will, but you won't. You'll take your last breath here and take your next one in eternity in that eternal life, not eternal death. I wish you could be with people like I have and watch them die and go to heaven. Oh, it's so sweet. They didn't die. They just changed addresses. They went where we could not. All of them that could die is just this old robe of flesh. Told somebody today, bury me, bury me shallow because I want to get out first. Amen. Uh, don't bury me so deep. I want to be first one out of the ground, buddy. I, I, I'm in competition. You see, why, preacher? Because First <laughs> John three fourteen. If you want to take your Bible and turn there, I want to show you something. Oh, my soul. First John three fourteen. We know that we have passed from death unto life. 
Because we love the brethren, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. We have passed from death to life, not life to death. And when you live as a saved person should live, you will pass from death to life, not life to death. Three, and a half, three years ago, last December, when my mama died, she didn't die. She just really started living, Brother Jim. Her body quit living here, but she put on one that didn't hurt no more. She just started really living. And that's what God's talking about here. It is the greatest promise. You see, to those who are saved, we pass from death to eternal life. What this world calls living, God calls death. Did you know, if you're on your way to heaven, this is as bad as it ever gets? Aren't you glad? But to those who are lost, this is as good as it gets. Think about that. No wonder they live like animals, or worse. Number 10. It has the greatest certainty. I want you to look at John 3.16 very carefully for a moment. I'm going to teach you something about it here in a second. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but what's the next word? Have. I want you to notice that's present tense. It's not future tense. It doesn't say but shall have. It says you have it. That means this. Notice it doesn't say will have. It's in present tense. The moment you get saved, you have eternal life. And nobody can take it from you. You can't give it away. You can't put somebody else's name on it. You can't uh, accept it for somebody else. Once you get it, you've got it, and you can't get rid of it. Kind of like a mother-in-law. I mean, uh, you see, it, it can never be taken away because it's eternal. And I want you to notice it says you have it. The moment you get saved, it's just like the day you were conceived, life begins, abortionist. That life continues whether you agree with it or not. Stick that in your pipe, Mr. Manchin. Now hang on for a second here. Once life begins here, it's to continue. God says once you get born again, it never ends. You see, it can never be given up or surrendered because it's eternal. You can never be without it because God gave it to you. Once you got it, it's there forever. You never have to worry about losing your salvation. You never have to wonder, am I saved or am I not? I get a little tired of these pussyfooting little back-scratching liberal preachers. Well, if you didn't mean it with all your heart, then you probably didn't get saved. Show me where God said that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, it doesn't say with all your heart. It doesn't say turning from all your sin. He said, if you'll believe that you will have. Boy, that's good stuff. And lastly, 
it has the greatest possession, everlasting life. Everlasting life. That means this. It's life that lasts forever. That's deep theology. Say, how long is forever? Forever. This will be life as God intended uh, for man before there was sin. It's forever. This is life that has no death attached. It has no aging, thank God. Has no sickness and pain, glory to God. I decided to shovel the snow yesterday morning. Uh, I didn't want to put my boots on, so I put my tennis shoes on. I went out there, and I was doing pretty good. Got towards the top of the driveway, and I went real good and hard, and all of a sudden my feet decided they were going to rapture. Because all I could see was black pavement coming from my face. And I said, "Uh uh-oh. And with everything I had, I twisted as much as I could, and my knee hit, my hip hit, my shoulders hit, and my cheeks landed in the snow, but not my face. I used to bounce. Now I thud. (laughs) I laid there and went, that's going to hurt. I got up. I finished pushing the snow. Not as fast and a whole lot more carefully. Walked in. I'm soaked. You know, got my jeans off. My wife says, ah, oh, your knees all tore up. You need, I said, honey, I ain't worried about the stupid knee right now. Gets the stuff for the back and the shoulders. All right. The knee will recover a whole lot easier than these muscles because tomorrow's going to be a really bad day. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was, but there's places I'm feeling it, that's for sure. You know, when we get to heaven, there's no more of that, thank God. You know, this life, sin corrupts. It decays us. It breaks us down. People lose their their memory. Some of you, you don't have enough to lose. Hang on to it as long as you can. Uh, you say, well, preacher, the older I get, the more my mind wanders. It's too weak to go too far. Don't worry. Uh, but can I tell you something? When we get to everlasting and eternal life, there's no more memory of sin. We will never remember anything that was wrong or sinful. Not, not a thing. Some of you are going to start with a blank slate. Some of you better be glad you can't remember some of the things that you're gonna, you've done. Amen? Why do I believe out of the 31,102 verses in all the Bible that John 3.16 is the greatest? Because it has the greatest lover, the greatest amount, the greatest love, the greatest audience, the greatest act. It has the greatest gift, the greatest opportunity, the greatest simplicity, the greatest promise. It has the greatest certainty, and it has the greatest possession. I believe with all my heart, John 3.16 may be the greatest verse and the greatest book in all the world. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me ask you a question. Do you love your God?
He loved you how much? So much. He just wants a little of that back. <laughs> 